The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, good to see you guys. If you're online with us, welcome. We're so thankful that you're with us as well. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here, if I don't know you, but uh, we are excited to be here. Uh, we got some work to do. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, let's open them up to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. Uh, if you have a phone or a tablet, you can open that up to 1 Samuel 2. Uh, this is an interesting text that we're going to work through today, so I'd love for you to have eyes on this. Uh, if you're with us online, there's a little Bible tab you can press, and that'll bring you to the Bible, and you can go 1 Samuel 2 there. You can Google search it. We're going to read out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. So there you go. First Samuel 2. Uh, you, you notice that the, the scripture that was read over us was not 1 Samuel 2. That was 2 Corinthians 12, uh, which is not the same, by the way. Uh, but I just wanted you to know uh, today I, we're, we're going to talk about weakness. Weakness. That was a passage from the Apostle Paul about weakness that we're going to get into as well. Uh, but, but we're going to speak on weakness from 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, now, uh, as we get into this, I just want you to know, I am a millennial. Okay, I'm a, in that demographic, that generation, I'm a millennial, okay? Uh, that means I was born in the mid-80s, uh, which is known for uh, really bad hair and really great music, okay? Uh, so that's kind of it. And, and listen, uh, there's a lot of millennial bashing that te- tends to happen. Like, there's, if you're a millennial basher, just want to welcome that and, and be okay with that for just a minute, but just want to let you know that I'm willing to play the game. So uh, if, if you're a buster or a boomer or you're Gen X, or goodness, if you're Gen Z, man, it's open field day. I am an equal opportunity offender, okay? I will try to offend all of you equally, is what I mean there. Uh, so, so one of the things, though, about being a millennial, my generation of, of people, is that we are kind of categorized in, uh, in a way that people would say that millennials are uh, known, to, known to be entitled and ones who focus very heavily on what they can do, not what they can't do. Uh, they focus on strengths, not weaknesses, okay? And so that, that's because my generation, millennials, we are a product of what's known as the self-esteem movement. The self-esteem movement uh, is the movement that says, hey, everyone is special, right? Everyone's special. Everyone is unique. Everyone is beautiful. Everybody gets a trophy, right? You're a snowflake and you're a Skittle and you're a rainbow. And, and, and that's just kind of the, the world, the air that we breathe as we were growing up. I, I, I kid you not, my mama told me when I was a kid, the same thing that a lot of parents of millennials told their kids. And this is what my mama told me. Uh, she said, you can do anything that you set your mind to. That was the message to kind of bolster my self-esteem and to kind of encourage me as a young kid. And, and listen, it took me a while to figure this out, but uh, and I love my mama. Mama, if you're watching, I love you, but you're a liar. <laughs> mama lied. She lied to me. Likely your parents, if you're a millennial, they lied to you too. There are things that I cannot do. Like no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I set my mind to it, no matter how well I apply myself, I am not great at everything. Believe it or not, it's hard to believe sometimes, right? But like, I am, I'm just, but don't tell little Tommy that. Don't want to hurt his widow feelings, right? That's, that's, and, and there's some truth in that uh, generalization about um, millennials. But, but listen, it's, it's, it's even worse than not necessarily being good at everything. It's actually worse than that because not only am I not strong at everything, I'm actually really weak at some stuff. Like I'm not good at some things. Like we all have these things like that we're just kind of 
predisposed towards being bad at. Like we all have weaknesses. We all have struggles. We all have things that we are predisposed to, to, to be, they're, they're difficulties for us. They're hardships. They're, goodness, even failures, like personal failures in our life. And everything in our world is kind of trying to tell us to suppress those things, right? To ignore those things, to focus on your strengths, not on your weaknesses, hide those things. But today I'm entitling this sermon, Welcome Your Weakness. Welcome your weakness. As Christians, biblical Christians, we should welcome our weaknesses, you see, in First Samuel, we're in week three of this First Samuel series, and in and in week weeks one and two and three, really, we have been focusing in on a woman named Hannah. Now, if you've missed some of this, let me kind of catch you up, okay? Hannah was a weak person. She had some strengths, no, no doubt, but she also had some weaknesses. You see, with, with all of her heart, she had a desire, and that desire was to have a child. The problem was. She couldn't. She had a weakness. She was barren. She was infertile. She was unable to get pregnant. And that was her weakness. And listen, that threw her into depression, into despair, into distress. I mean, culturally, she would have been looked down upon for being barren. People would have thought, God must really dislike you because he caused this barrenness for you. But uh, she brought this weakness and she, she prayed. We read that she went up to the house of the Lord and she poured out her soul before the Lord. She pleaded with the Lord to give her what her heart desired. And what we found is that the Lord did actually, he didn't give her a child first. He gave her peace in her soul, in her heart first. And then in due time, he did give her the desire of her heart and she conceived and had a son named Samuel. Now that, that's what we have seen thus far. Last week, uh, she brought her three-year-old son, Samuel, back to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Uh, and and uh, he was to be raised there as a priest because Hannah had made a vow to the Lord in her prayer, what's called a Nazarite vow, that she would actually bring him and he would be like an adopted priest in the priesthood at the tabernacle. So she brings him, last week we read this, she brings him to the tabernacle, she drops him off with Eli, the priest, and he will be raised there. Now today in our text, uh, just so you know, they're still at Shiloh, okay? They have not left. They've just dropped off their three-year-old son. They're still there. They're worshiping the Lord. And, and what we have in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, is the prayer that Hannah prays after she uh, walks away from dropping off her son. This is what she prays to the Lord. Uh, and, and it's very interesting. As we study this prayer, I really believe God is going to show us that we are to welcome our weakness. You'll see this in the text. So here we go. Let's jump into this. 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Let's pause here. 
Hannah starts this prayer with a praise. Like she praises the Lord and she issues kind of a warning in verse three, okay? Uh, the, the praise that she says in verse one is, I rejoice in your salvation. She's rejoicing in what God has done in her life. This isn't referring to salvation like maybe we would talk about it, like getting saved or being born again or becoming a Christian. It's, it's actually more focused than that. It's, it's, it's kind of like a micro salvation, what she's talking about is that God stepped into her weakness and give, gave her a son. That's the salvation that she's talking about. He moved into her weakness and blessed her with the son. And so she praises the Lord. She says, goodness, uh, thank you, praise you. I rejoice in your salvation. But then in verse three, it's really interesting. She issues this kind of strange warning where she warns against pride and she warns against arrogance and she warns against boasting. Um, because, and I think this is why she does this, very often when God blesses us, we can be quick to take the credit. We can be quick to think that we are the ones who actually made the good things happen, or, or we, sometimes we even cloak it in spiritual language, where we're like, oh, you know what, I just was so struggling, and I brought it to the Lord, and he has blessed me abundantly, praise be the, the name of the Lord, Right? In a real self, I mean, you have to examine yourself, but you can even bring praise to God in a boastful and arrogant way that puts, uh, essentially, I mean, think of the Pharisees in this way. God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy or that gal. That's the same sort of idea here. And I think Hannah is speaking to herself in this moment and saying, hey, don't get arrogant. Don't get proud. Don't become boastful. This is God's doing. This salvation is from the Lord. So she brings that warning and she brings that praise and then she moves it into the bulk of her prayer, which is what we kind of want to focus in on. And the bulk of her prayer is reminding herself of two things, who God is and how God works. We're going to see this in verses four through eight. So follow along. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. So let me start talking about welcoming our weakness by saying this. There's a pattern that Hannah identifies and that she points out in this prayer, and that pattern is how God works and, and, and it's the first point I want to make about welcoming our weakness. The pattern is that God chooses weak things. All through her prayer, she's showing us that God chooses weak things. We have to welcome our weakness because God actually chooses weak things to work through. You see this with Hannah. Okay, Hannah states that her micro salvation of getting a son, okay, God giving her this son is exactly in line with how he works all over the place. The strong are weak and the weak are strong. 
Okay, God does not seem to work through strength, but through weakness. That's what she brings up in that whole, uh, all five of those verses. God does not seem to work through wealth and power and honor, but through want and need and humility. This is just how God chooses to work. It's things like, I, I was ready to fall and God gave me strength. I was barren and God get, made me fruitful. I was poor and, and God made me rich. And then it goes on into the New Testament too. This story is not just seen in the Old Testament. I was blind, but now I can see. I was a hated tax collector and he called me to be his disciple. I was a persecutor of Christians and he called me an apostle. And, and that's my favorite example, actually, of the New Testament, because what I was referring to is the apostle Paul. Paul, this is why we read 2 Corinthians earlier. Paul is the guy who was, at his very worst, whole, maybe, maybe in alliance with people murdering Christians, and then God knocks him off his horse and calls him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So that's why I'm kind of supplementing our text. We're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to dig into 2 Corinthians 12 alongside of 1 Samuel 2. Uh, you don't have to turn there unless you want to, because I'll put those up on the screen. But, but Paul is a very interesting case because often when we think of the apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote most of our New Testament. We don't think of him as really weak. He actually is pretty strong. Like you see Peter and you're like, man, what an oaf, Right? That guy, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. But Paul, you're like, that guy's got like a cape flapping in the wind. He's like the super apostle. He's legit. I mean, here's just a little bit of his rap sheet. You try and kill him, and his response to you is to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like, how infuriating is that? Right? So you're like, you know what we'll do? Throw that guy into prison. Well, he's like, all right, fine. He starts singing songs, converts all your guards, the rest of the prisoners, to Christians. I mean, it's just like this guy's got, the Roman Empire must have been at, at their ends with this guy, Paul. I mean, Paul is the kind of guy who, in the book of Acts, if you study the book of Acts, uh, it says that his handkerchief is actually being used to heal people. I don't know if you remember this story, but bros at like a cookout or something, and he pulls out his, uh, his handkerchief, blows his nose, they grab it, they run it over, and they lay it on Nana, and Nana's like, I'm alive, right? Like, that's kind of what happens in the book of Acts, all over the place. Paul, Paul's do, at one point in the New Testament, it says that Paul's shadow, as he's walking past sick people, his shadow is actually healing them. I mean, this is a, not a guy that you would say, definitely weak. Not a lot of strength in that man. And yet, when you read what Paul says about himself, what Paul says about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, it's fascinating. So uh, 2 Corinthians 12, we find Paul giving a confession of his weakness. It'll go up on the screen. Follow along. So to keep me, super Paul, from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Uh, first thing in that passage, God sends a messenger of Satan to harass Paul. That'll mess up your theology, right? Like how many of you in your, th in your systematic theology, you're like, you know what? God just doles out demons to people who love and serve him. Not, I, I don't think that. 
What is this? I mean, this is kind of a weird passage. And and then you even notice what he says. He says, a thorn, he calls that demon, that harassing demon, a thorn. And he says, the thorn was given me. It was given to him. Paul didn't ask for it. Paul didn't cause it. It was given to him. Hannah, by the way, was given her barrenness. She didn't ask for it. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do something to cause it. And this is for us again today, church. Weakness is, it's often given. It's often given to you. Listen, you have been given some thorns that you didn't cause. You've been given some weaknesses that maybe you didn't ask for. But just because you didn't ask for it doesn't mean that God isn't going to use it. Just because you did not do something to deserve it doesn't mean God isn't going to redeem it. This is one of the ways we welcome our weakness. It's realizing that they are often given to us with a purpose. Now, what Paul's specific thorn is, is a hotly debated topic. Okay, people debate this all the time. Most people think it's some sort of physical ailment that he had, but literally scholars have made livings debating and trying to figure out what Paul's thorn in the flesh actually was. But here's the truth. You can write this one down. It don't matter. Throw all those books in the trash. It does not matter. Okay, it does not matter what Paul's thorn was. It's actually a benefit to us that we have no idea what it is. It's very helpful that we don't know because if we knew what Paul's thorn was, we'd stop relating to it, right? Like, like we would start actually comparing our thorns with his thorn and then it would get all out of whack. We'd be like, well, my thorn's way worse than his. So he doesn't know what I'm going through. Or we'd be like, man, he really had it hard and my little thing doesn't seem that much. So maybe I'll just not talk about it because it doesn't feel like it's big enough to mention. But comparisons, especially comparisons of suffering, they never serve us well. It never serves us well because we're comparing our weakness to someone else's strength. And that's not fair, right? We compare what we know about ourselves to what we think we know about others. And we see them and we think we know them, but listen to me, you don't know them. No matter how strong they may look, you don't know. Here, I'll show you how this works, okay? I'll show you. Uh, So imagine you've got someone in your life who you just think they are so spiritual. They are just so godly, so faithful. You're like, oh my goodness, they're so spiritual. Like every time they pray, they whisper, right? Have you heard them? They must be so in tune with the spirit because have you heard their prayer voice? It's just a whisper. They must love and know Jesus so well. Oh, did you see that guy with his hands up in worship? He doesn't feel embarrassed like I do. He must really love Jesus. He's so bold. I want faith like that guy. You don't know what's going on in his heart. There's that couple. Oh, goodness. They've got no problems. They don't ever argue, right? They don't ever fight. There's no drama. I just know he loves her like Christ loves the church, right? I mean, I've only talked to her twice, but she really seems like a Proverbs 31 woman to me. All right. I mean, I see Ephesians 5 all over that marriage. She's just submitting all over that house. I want that. I want that. Yo, you don't know. You don't know. You're comparing what you know is weak about yourself to what you perceive is the strength of someone else. But listen, you don't know. Parents do this all the time. 
Okay, you look at other people's kids and you're like, shh, I bet their kids are never demon possessed. (laughs) Go to bed on time. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. They're perfect, right? See people in their jobs. Oh, I bet he always, he's slaying it. He's killing it. He's marching up the ladder. I bet he never wishes he could quit like I do. You see people at at the gym. God, how did they get a six pack? You gave me like a full tire. Like what? You see, it's, it's so helpful that we don't know what Paul's thorn is. It's because that we don't know what it is that it creates a relatability for every single one of us. So God gave Paul a weakness. But then it says why. Like, God, like Paul tells us why God actually gave him that weakness. At the end of verse seven, it says to keep Paul from being conceited. It's really helpful that he puts that in there. Paul just tells us that that God gave him a lesser struggle to prevent him from falling into a greater sin, the sin of pride, which by the way is exactly what Hannah warns us in verse three. And, And it brings me to the next point I wanna make about how we welcome our weakness. See, when we welcome our weakness, we realize that weakness actually protects us. Weakness very often is a way that God protects us from something much greater and much more harmful. Now, uh, I brought a rose up here on stage with me today, if you noticed it. I don't normally do like object illustrations because I think they're lame, uh, but uh, not today, apparently. So I stopped at, I actually had to buy a dozen of these. So I've got 11 of these hanging out if anybody's interested. I'm not trying to hit on anybody, all right? But I've got 11 more, so... Let me know, okay? Um, but this is a rose, okay? I, I brought it with me today because, um, be, because I, I think that there are, I actually think there are really beautiful things that God is, is doing in you, in us right here, okay? So some of that millennial stuff is, is actually true. It's actually good stuff, okay? You are special. You are unique. You are created in the image of God. And, and God is at work transforming you and developing you and making you beautiful, turning you into a rose, as it were, okay? A beautiful flower, okay? But if you've ever had a rose, you've ever bought a rose for somebody or seen it or received one or whatever, you'll notice that at the top, it's beautiful. But down here, there's like these thorns, these big, nasty, knobby thorns all the way down the stem. And I've always been like, why is that there? Like roses are so beautiful, but then there's all this stuff you can get your hands all bloodied on. Why would there be roses with thorns on the stem. And so I did what good people do. I looked it up on Google. Okay. I Googled, why are there thorns on roses? And once I got past the song, every rose has its thorn, which is a great tune, by the way, Gen Xers. There you go. Okay. But, uh, but listen, once I got past that song, I found out that roses actually have thorns because wild roses, roses that grow in the wild, the thorns are a mechanism to protect against predators. Because very often, I guess some sort of animal likes to eat this part. And if a predator shows up and actually tries to eat this, they are very likely to rub against a thorn, which will hurt them. And then the the whole thing is if they come back again, the predator is going to know that that thorn's there. And they'll be like, no, I actually don't want that. No matter how tempting and tantalizing that flower is, I don't want to get all bloodied on this rose. Church, we welcome our weakness because God gives them to us and because they protect us. The thorn, though it hurts, it might actually be God's saving grace from the predator of pride. God very often gives us thorns to keep 
pride from destroying the work that he's doing in our lives. And there's not much that'll quickly destroy what God's doing in your life like pride and arrogance. We welcome our weakness because weakness protects us. So now let's keep going with Paul, okay? 2 Corinthians 12 verse eight says then, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So, so Paul is pleading with the Lord to, to remove the thorn. That's, a, that's important. Just because you've got a thorn, it doesn't mean you, don't, you have to like somehow love that thing. He's like, I'm pleading for the Lord to take that thing away from me. I don't want the thorn. We're not masochists. We're not interested in like, oh, it just hurts, so it's so good. That pain is so good. No, it hurts. Lord, take the thorn away. This is the guy, though, by the way, who could heal on demand, and yet he could not take care of his own weakness. Do you see the parallel here with Hannah? Hannah is weak, she is suffering, and, and she shows up and she just pours out her soul before the Lord. And now Paul is doing the same thing. He's pleading with the Lord, take this away. And God does not ignore him. He is not silent. He says so in verse nine. But God said to me, here's his answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God does not ignore Paul. He just straight up denies him. Right? Hannah receives a yes. She pours out her soul and God's like, all right, have a son. Paul receives a no. Is that a little shocking? It actually shouldn't be because how many of you know that one of the most merciful things that God has ever done in your life is answering some of your prayers? No. I mean, goodness, you know this to be true, right? I mean, come on now, like you've ever prayed, you're just praying for that new job and God was like, nah, nah, bro, you're not getting that one. And you, because you didn't get that job, all of a sudden you got another opportunity that you would have missed out on. And you're just praying so desperately like, God, I need a promotion. God, I need a promotion. God, I need a promotion. But if you had gotten that promotion, you never would have discovered the passion that you had that put you on a new direction, a new path. I mean, some of you, goodness, you've prayed, God, let this person be the one. Let this guy, let this gal be the one I'm supposed to marry and settle down with. But God's like, listen, you cannot find what you're looking for in that person. And you just saw them on Facebook and you're like, man, I escaped a dumpster fire because God said no to me. Just because God didn't answer the prayer in the way that you want doesn't mean he's not meeting your needs. Just because he says no, or just because he says yes, or just because he says not yet, it does not mean that he's not meeting your needs. This is what he says no to Paul. Paul goes on in verse nine, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Now, if, if Paul were here today, we would say, no, don't boast in your weakness, man. You're a millennial, Paul. Hide your weaknesses, okay? Focus on your strengths. Build up your self-esteem. You're a winner, Paul. Look at all that you've done. Look at the hanky healing thing. You're great. Goodness, Paul, you're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like you, Paul. But Paul is boasting He's not just okay with his weakness. He's boasting 
in his weakness. And he says, why? At the end of verse nine, he says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Church, there is a huge difference between saying, I've got this and I surrender. Our strengths can lead us to say, I've got this. I can handle this. I can fix this. I'll clean this mess up myself. I've got this. But our weaknesses assure us that we don't got this. And then in verse 10, Paul finishes by saying, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We welcome our weaknesses because when we do, our weakness becomes our strength. It's a paradox. But when we welcome our weakness, God actually uses it as a strength. And not like in a weird Michael Scott, well, my strengths are actually my weaknesses. You know, like that, whatever. Like that, not, not so weird like that. It, that. This actually isn't an anti-strength sermon. This isn't an anti, I'm pro-strength, okay? Underneath this, ripped. Not, no, not, not at all. But like, I'm just, like, I'm str- like uh, we, we have strengths. You have strengths. I have strengths. It's just that, that we only find God's strength in ourself when we actually welcome our weakness. It's not that your strengths are bad. It's just that God wants you to acknowledge and, and, and even boast in the things that you are weak in. Hear me on this. God's not looking for you to be strong, He's not looking for the strong. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for the foolish. He's looking for those who are honest about those things, who are available. God's looking for humble. He's looking for surrender. This is actually going to sound counterintuitive, but follow me. This is right. God gravitates towards your weakness. This is why Jesus says, I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came for those who are sick. He's attracted to your struggle. It's where he does his very best work. It's in your weakness that God gets all the glory that he deserves. And that's why we must welcome our weakness. He knows you're good at some stuff. He made you good at that stuff. God doesn't need your strength. He needs your surrender. It's never been about your ability. It's always been about your availability. You need any more preaching alliterations to get this one driven home? When we surrender, our weakness actually becomes our strength. Now let's get back to Hannah. That's our diversion to Paul. Let's bring it back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to finish this out in verses 9 and 10. He, speaking of God, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So in Hannah's close to this prayer, she reveals the final result of this pattern of weakness that she just laid out in verses four through eight. 
all of this weak being strong, all of this poor being rich will culminate in what God, what she says God will do. God will be strong to deliver his people. God will be strong to shatter his opponents and God will be strong to judge the ends of the earth. And Hannah expects in verse 10 to accomplish all of this through his king, the king, the anointed one. And the question that scholars wrestle with is who's the king that she's talking about here? Because if you remember at this point, there is no king in Israel. Who's the king that she is talking about? Well, good commentaries agree that there's a dual fulfillment happening in this passage, okay? So inspired by the Holy Spirit, Hannah is foreseeing first the great king of Israel, King David, who, by the way, her son Samuel will anoint in only a few years. So she is seeing this king, King David, who will usher in peace and prosperity to Israel, but that's not it. Okay, commentators say that there is a dual fulfillment, which is a very often a practice of Old Testament prophecy, where there's a first fulfillment and then a final fulfillment. And the final fulfillment of this is found in that last word in the passage, the very last word that is translated to the English as his anointed. In the Hebrew, that's the word where we get the word Messiah. His anointed is the Messiah. And what that means is that Jesus is actually the culmination of this whole weak and strong thing. He's born in a manger. He's born as a poor man. He becomes weak and powerless. He's beaten. He's betrayed. He's excluded. He's tortured. He's put to death. He is the anointed king, God in the flesh, who goes not to a throne but to a cross. He doesn't come in strength. He comes in ultimate humility and weakness. Paul states this beautifully in Philippians 2. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, the last and most important reason why we can welcome our weakness is because God became voluntarily weak. God chooses weak things He gives us weaknesses. He protects us with weakness. He strengthens us with weakness. Why? Because he himself became weak. And you can be sure that he knows you and he loves you because he was crushed for you. He was emptied. He was humbled. He was obedient. He became weak. For us. This is the very nature of the gospel. So as we close, I want to ask you a question. What do you perceive as your greatest weakness? Like in a moment of honesty with you and the Lord, with your heart, like what do you perceive as your greatest weakness or your greatest struggle, your greatest pain? Like what's the one thing? It's a thorn, okay? What's that one thing that you would plead to the Lord 
to remove, to change, if you could. For some of you, it's maybe a sin from your past. Like something that you did or it was done to you that you're just still kind of clinging on to a little bit of guilt or a little bit of shame. Maybe it's a divorce or an addiction. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's just a voice that's in your head that's like, I'm just not strong enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not smart enough. I just, I'm just not all that special. Now, whatever that thing is, I would just want you to think about it for a moment. Get that in your mind. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to just imagine what God might be able to do with that weakness in your life. Imagine what God might use that thing in your life for, for his glory, for his purposes, for you. I want you to imagine that, and I just want you to know that the first step into that is to welcome your weakness. Don't disparage it. Pray like crazy for God to take it away. But if he doesn't, welcome it. Because where you are weak, he can be strong. Let's pray together. Hey, Father, this is um, one of those passages in 1 Samuel that's, that's just a little dense and it's a little, a little heavy and it's a little hard to kind of work through. And yet, Lord, thank you, for, thank you for this pattern of weak and strong that you have just revealed to us in 1 Samuel and emphasized in 2 Corinthians 12. We are grateful that you choose the weak things. Because as much as we would want to admit, uh, to, to, to say this out loud, we know that we are weak. As much as we want to put on the front that we've got things put together, we know ourselves. We know our mess. We know our struggles. We know the things that gnaw at us as we're trying to fall asleep at night or the things that wake us up at three in the morning. And Lord, if only we could heed this word and and trust that if we welcome our weakness, that Lord, you will actually meet us there that you will actually work through our weakness. Maybe it's to protect us. Maybe it's to grow us. Maybe it's to strengthen us even. But Lord, I do pray for myself, for my brothers and sisters here and online, Lord, that you would work in our weakness. Holy Spirit, may we lean into you today with everything that we have, not just our strengths, but our weakness as well. And may you reveal to us and show us the things you have for us in those weaknesses. God, we want to put you on display. We want to give you glory. And that is best done when you show up in areas where we are weak and you show yourself to be God. Do that all the more in our lives, we pray. And so we ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.